Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to be talking about reparations. And uh, I can already taste the spice coming from the comment section. I'm sure at least some of you guys, when you click this video, were probably wondering to yourself, why is she talking about reparations? I mean, yeah, sure, there are some people on the fringe who are still advocating for them, but this isn't a, an actual conversation that the country's having. Well, I hate to break it to you, but uh, you're wrong. As the Democratic Party has moved further and further left, the conversation surrounding reparations has become mainstream. In an interview with NPR, Democratic darling Kamala Harris was quoted as saying, you can look at the issue of untreated and undiagnosed trauma. African Americans have higher rates of heart disease and high blood pressure. It is environmental. It is centuries of slavery, which was a form of violence where women were raped, where children were taken from their parents. Violence associated with slavery and trauma, undiagnosed and untreated, leads to physiological outcomes. She then continued that the term reparations, it means different things to different people. But what I mean by it is that we need to study the effects of generations of discrimination and institutional racism and determine what can be done in terms of intervention to correct course. I'm pretty sure that the fact that heart disease rates have only increased among African Americans the further we've gotten from slavery may speak to the fact that it's more likely the obesity rates of black people affecting things rather than epigenetics from slavery. But in any case, Elizabeth Warren has expressed similar sentiments, not about epigenetics, about reparations. According to CNN, quote, Elizabeth Warren has stated her support of a bill that would form a commission to study slavery and develop reparations proposals. It's actually an issue she's evolved on, moving from a more broad-based approach to something more specific. Because of housing discrimination and employment discrimination, we live in a world where the average white family has $100 and the average black family has about $5. So I believe it's time to start the national full-blown conversation about reparations in this country. And that means I support the bill in the House to appoint a congressional panel of experts, people that are studying this, and talk about different ways we might be able to do it. And make a report back to Congress so that we can, as a nation, do what's right and begin to heal. Yeah, so I know it's tempting to want to turn a blind eye to this entire conversation because most people agree that it's ridiculous, but there are actually people out there with real political power who are in favor of it. So unfortunately, it needs to be talked about. Reparations for slavery isn't all about getting that bag. It's part of it, for sure, but it's also about acknowledging and reconciling a wrong. In the United States, that wrong is what some would call this country's original sin, slavery. This is a video that was released recently by The Root, which if you haven't heard of it, is kind of like a black interest slash advocacy publication. And just as an aside, I do want to point out how it's kind of funny to me how people are totally fine with The Root existing, but if a white person were to try to start up the same thing for white people, it would it would be really bad. And before we go any further, I would like a quick minute of your time to let you guys know about our sponsor, the film Unplanned. If you haven't heard of it before, it's a movie that deals with the issue of abortion, which I think is so important to talk about right now. It tells the story of Abby Johnson, who was committedly pro-choice, so much so that she even worked at Planned Parenthood. She would go on to become the director of the clinic where she worked at, and she even had two abortions herself. So if that doesn't paint you the picture of someone who is 100% pro-choice, I don't know what would. What makes Abby's story so interesting, though, is that that all changed when one day she was called in to assist with an abortion, and she witnessed things that completely turned her perspective around. And what's frustrating though is that the MPAA actually gave this film an R rating, which a lot of people think wasn't due to its content, but merely as a way to try to dissuade some Christian viewers from going to see the movie since 
it's apparently R-rated. And that R rating also makes it harder for teens to go see this movie, which is so maddening because they're exactly the people who need to see this to learn about the realities of abortion. So if you want to check the movie out, you can head to unplannedfilm.com. That's unplannedfilm.com. And I promise you, you will not leave the theater the same as you went in. It's in theaters now. That's unplannedfilm.com. Back to what that lady was saying, reparations are essentially payments that would be made to black people that would be reparations for slavery. And even though reparations would be money or something similar to money, another asset like property, I've noticed that it's become common nowadays for activists who are in favor of reparations, like this lady, to say, yeah, you know, we want the money, but it's not all about the money. It's also about the country finally recognizing the wrong it's done and us being able to start the healing process. These people can claim that reparations aren't all about the money because it makes them seem less like greedy money grubbers, but really, it doesn't make sense to say that reparations are needed so that the US finally recognizes that slavery was wrong because all the US ever does is recognize that slavery was wrong. There is an entire month dedicated to black history. Do you want to know why none of the other races got months dedicated toward their history? It's because they felt bad for slavery. Martin Luther King Day is an essentially an entire holiday dedicated to recognizing and remembering the US's history of racial inequality. Almost every major city on the East Coast has some sort of memorial or museum dedicated to recognizing and remembering the wrong of slavery. And that's not even to mention how culturally Americans feel so guilty over slavery and are so afraid of being racist that they end up approving of policies that would never fly in other countries and just make absolutely no sense. Case in point, voter ID laws. Americans are so ashamed of having disenfranchised black people that now needing a federal ID to vote, which is something that literally every other country requires, has for some reason become a controversial topic in the country. And on top of that, you also have affirmative action policies for jobs and education. And just how can you say that America has never confronted slavery when so much of what America does is trying to make up for slavery. Can't you see that this is not how other countries function? Over $600 million, or just about half of the country's economic activity in 1836, came directly or indirectly from cotton. Cotton-producing enslaved people were just 6% of the population, and we're only talking about cotton here. Enslaved people helped build this nation's wealth, but once they were emancipated, the system made sure that the formerly enslaved couldn't build well. This is one of the most common talking points brought up by proponents of reparations, which is that African Americans are due reparations today because one of the main reasons that America is so successful right now is that it was able to exploit slave labor or the labor of their ancestors. And to respond to this, I'd actually like to bring up an article that was published in Quillette called Black American Culture and the Racial Wealth Gap by Coleman Hughes. It's an amazing read that touches upon a lot of different points. So if you haven't yet already, I really encourage you guys to go to Quillette and read it in its entirety. But for our purposes, I would like to share this passage with you. Slavery is hardly the root cause of America's prosperity. If it were, then we would expect American states that practice slavery to be richer than those that did not. Yet we see precisely the opposite. The South, where slavery thrived, was the poorest and most backward region of the country, according to the economist Thomas Sowell. 
This remains true today. A recent analysis of census data found that northeastern states, which forbade slavery, are among the wealthiest, whereas states in the southeast are among the poorest. Nor is the disconnect between slavery and wealth unique to America. Similar disparities have emerged in Brazil, where the formerly abolitionist southern region has been and continues to be wealthier than the formerly slave-owning northern region. And to that point, I would also like to add that since slavery was abolished, the United States has experienced many different periods of economic growth and recession. Even if slavery did help America secure wealth, how much of that wealth would have been left after the Great Depression in the 1920s. And even though it happened so long ago, was slavery still the cause of the economic growth that followed after World War II and during the 90s dot-com boom? But the prospect of reparations aside, I don't think we can discuss racial wealth inequality without at least mentioning cultural spending habits. Because as Coleman Hughes points out, and again, I really recommend you read that entire article, quote, no element of culture harms black wealth accrual more directly than spending patterns. Nielsen, one of the world's leading market research firms, keeps extensive data on American consumer behavior broken down demographically. A 2017 Nielsen report found that, compared to white women, black women were 14% more likely to own a luxury vehicle, 16% more likely to purchase costume jewelry, and 9% more likely to purchase fine jewelry. A similar Nielsen report from 2013 found that while only 62% of all Americans owned a smartphone, 71% of blacks owned one. Moreover, all of these spending differences were unconditional on wealth and income. To what extent do poor spending habits explain the persistence of the wealth gap. Economists at the University of Chicago and the University of Pennsylvania asked this question after analyzing 16 years of nationally representative data from the Consumer Expenditure Survey. Consistent with the Nielsen data, they found that blacks with comparable incomes to whites spent 17% less on education and 32% more on visible goods, defined as cars, jewelry, and clothes. Consequences go well beyond material. The large disparities that exist across race isn't because Blacks are a defective people, but rather there were events that have taken place both in the past and currently that have led to these gross inequalities. I definitely agree that Blacks are not a defective people. That's so ridiculous to even think of. But this guy does raise a good question, which is that if Blacks aren't a deficient people, which they're not, then why does this huge racial wealth gap exist? And to be clear, with this video, none of this is meant to dismiss or disregard the fact that Black communities are facing real problems right now, because they absolutely are. That's just an objective fact. As of 2017, some estimates put the overall poverty rate in the United States at around 11%. If you break that down by race though, we can see that the poverty rate among white people was only 8% and 16% among Hispanic people, but a whopping 20% for black people. Yes, black communities are hurting right now and people should be upset about this and they should be looking for answers. But honestly, when we look at the data more closely, which I really encourage all of us to do, it just doesn't seem like blacks are more impoverished because of current or ongoing systemic discrimination. Specifically, although the general poverty rate for black people is around 20%, the average poverty rate of black married couple families in the United States in 2017 is only 6.8%. So to be clear, what that means is that if you are black and part of a married family household, you are less likely to be in poverty than your average white person. People always get really mad at me when I say stuff like this, but I don't care. It's actually what's going to help people, so I'm going to keep saying it anyway. But if you want to solve the problem of poverty in black communities, then don't push for stuff like reparations. Push for the restoration of marriage and fatherhood and family. You don't believe me? You're upset? 
Let's look at some more stats. If you compare the poverty rate of black people in 1968 to 2016, you can see that it's dropped a lot. It's gone from around 34% to, like I said before, around 20%. Even though there's still a long way to go, that improvement is a good thing, and it does make sense considering that the economy nowadays is a lot more meritocratic than it was in 1968. But if we look at the poverty rates for black children specifically from 1976 to 2016, we can see that, yeah, there is still a huge improvement, but the poverty rates for children are substantially higher than for the overall population. There are so many amazing single mothers out there that are working so hard to provide for their children, but at the end of the day, the facts are the facts. And it's just an objective truth that, quote, children who live in families headed by a single mother are much more likely to be poor than their counterparts living in families headed by a married couple, 41 and 8% respectively. And that difference in the poverty rates for single versus married households is such a big deal for the black community because right now, around 70% of black babies are born to single-parent households. Some policy experts say it could run the country trillions of dollars. But what's the holdup? It's not like victims of atrocities haven't gotten some compensation before. In 1974, the government reached a $10 million out-of-court settlement to compensate the victims of the Tuskegee experiment and their heirs. In 1988, the U.S. agreed to pay Japanese internees a total of $1.2 billion. In 1994, the state of Florida greenlit a reparations package totaling $2.1 million for the victims of the 1923 Rosewood Massacre. Now here to argue in support of reparations for slavery, this lady, whose name I still don't know, did she introduce herself at the beginning of her video? I don't think so. Did I introduce myself at the beginning of this video? I don't think so either. I'm Lauren. But anyway, she brings up examples where individuals actually have gotten compensated financially for wrongs that have been committed against them. And to that, I've got to say, I actually am in favor of reparations for slavery for people who are actually slaves. And I think, I think you guys know where I'm going with this. No, no black people in America were, were slaves. That's why that's different. Seriously though, yeah, I do believe that former slaves should have been given reparations for the wrongs that they were subjected to. The time for that though has come and gone. Those people are dead, as are the people who enslaved them and the people who sat back and allowed them to be enslaved. Giving black people money now won't right the wrong of slavery because black people now are not the ones who were enslaved. Setting the precedent that you should be able to go to the government and demand payment for something that happened to your ancestors 150 years ago is a really bad idea. That's a can of worms I don't think we should be opening. What would be stopping Americans from asking the British government for reparations then, for, for the wrongs that they committed against them? Really, what? And what about Asians? Should they be seeking reparations too? And I don't just mean for the internment camp thing, I mean for the, hello, you're welcome for your railroads thing. And if we're going after reparations, why stop at racial or like ethnic groupings? So why can't other groups or collectives get some reparations too? Maybe women should get us some reparations. Huh? I mean, after all, we were denied the vote for longer than black men, by the way, just putting that out there. Even if we were to accept the idea that black people should get reparations for slavery, how would that even work? Would you need to provide genealogical evidence that you are in fact the descendant of a slave? Or would it just be like all black people getting some money? And if so, how would you determine who is and who isn't black? Would people like Sean King and Rachel Dolezal be getting money too? Or would you be DNA testing people? Seriously, I, I wanna know. Think your plan through. Reparations aren't a handout, they aren't a leg up. They are deserved. Now let's see who's not just about black votes, 
but for black people. Look, at the end of the day, you just don't deserve reparations for something that didn't happen to you. It is true, though, that leaders shouldn't just be in favor of black votes, but also black people. And I think having a leader who not only knows how to, but also wants to affect positive change in the black community is super rare. And I think that's mainly because accomplishing real change would be difficult and would involve tackling issues that tend to make people uncomfortable. Because after all, if change and improvement were so easy, it would have happened by now. It's like, yes, inner city schools are bad, but no one wants to talk about how they're bad. I mean, it's easy to throw money at a problem. It's a lot harder to actually look at the root causes of the problem, especially when it might involve some people getting fired. And most importantly, it's like nowadays we can't even talk about the importance of fathers without offending single mothers. But yes, fathers do do matter and especially in vulnerable communities. Ultimately, this video was not meant to say that real problems don't exist in the black community because they absolutely do. It's just that reparations aren't the answer to those problems, either morally or practically. In any case though, I would love to know what you guys think. Do you support reparations? Why or why not? And if you do, then how would they work exactly? Who would get them and how much? I'm dying to know. That's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time.